0: Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast. Helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond. With your host, Michael Huber. Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation. Welcome to the Freshman Foundation podcast, a podcast specifically geared toward understanding the transition from high school to college athletics. My guest today is Jan Cocosiello, head basketball coach at St. Joseph High School in Metuchen, New Jersey. For those of you that don't know, St. Joseph High School basketball has turned out some pretty okay basketball players over the years, like Carl Anthony Towns and Jay Williams. Jan was a four-year starter at Hartwick College in uh, New York and played professionally in China, played basketball professionally in China. Please welcome Jan, my good friend, to the podcast. Coach Jan, what's going on?
1: How you doing, Mike? How's everything?
0: Good, man. It's good to have you on here. I'm, I've been looking forward to this one for a while.
1: Definitely, definitely. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me.
0: So first and foremost, uh, we're all sort of still stuck in limbo here with COVID. Basketball season is in a state of flux. So what's what's going on with basketball in uh, high school basketball in the state of New Jersey right now?
1: Guidelines that actually came out last week um, were 15-game uh, schedule county tournament based on the actual uh conference or county itself so it's pending up to them and uh no state tournament uh we actually have an athletic department meeting tonight around six um where we're just going to go over some guidelines but It's pretty much laid out for you. No out-of-state games, can't travel. Because initially I was just like, well, I'll try to schedule maybe someone in New York or Pennsylvania. But that kind of went by the wayside real quick uh, when reading through the guidelines and uh, it's actually a different start date. It's actually starting at January 11th. It's been kind of difficult. Uh, as you know, you know, some of our guys and uh, I'm kind of feeling for them because in a sense, I'm happy because we are getting a season. But in another sense, you know, some of the kids are just being robbed of extra games and then no fans, the high school atmosphere, potentially county tournament. Again, we don't know, but definitely a state tournament. So maybe something good will happen in the next two to three months. Just try to stay optimistic and positive with it. So
0: yeah. uh, It's a tough situation. So, you know, for those of you listening, you know, I coached with Jan for two years, once as a volunteer assistant alongside of him and then under him as the head coach at St. Joe's. So going into his second season. Uh, And so I know a lot of Jan's players, pretty well. And I mean, you know, I have, I think they're just a great bunch of kids and I, I do feel for them, but tell me how, what you're hearing from them in terms of, you know, how they're handling it, what they've been, you know, working on, you know, what they you know, what their concerns are. I just want to hear more about what's going on with them.
1: Yeah, no, uh, honestly, Mike, you, you know, the group, um, the, a great group that's come back and uh, it's actually been such a uplifting thing for me to keep me going during uh, all this because uh, they're working out on their own. We're renting gym space, whether at the Express or getting uh, St. Joe's and uh, Cody Robinson, our our captain. He's leading workouts, but you know you have a group of seniors like Miles and uh, Elijah Barlow that transferred in from transferred in from Union Catholic. You know you have guys showing up, and then it's uh, trickling down to the younger guys. So the younger guys are showing up. So it was basically, uh, we kind of did that pretty much all summer for workouts. Obviously, it was under the guidelines of how many people you can have in the gym and everything like that. But to see uh, uh, the consistent faces there and the like really good leadership, as one would say, it, it actually uh, makes me feel well. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, I was, uh, it was right around 4th of July weekend. I was going down to a family member's house in Virginia So I decided to uh, stop by the Express real quick just to see Coach Norton. I didn't think anyone was going to be there. And I walked in and nobody's on the, like Coach Norton's not on the floor. Obviously, I'm not there because I'm stopping by to see Coach Norton. And the guys are actually doing uh, basketball drills and uh, scenarios that, you know, being in practice with me the last Couple of years when I was running practice as an assistant, and now and then a head coach, they were actually doing stuff. And like for a split second, like I kind of froze because that's something every coach wants, no matter what level it is, whether it's uh, high school, middle school, college, where you have guys that can basically run things and do things and not need you. Those are the teams um, I think that go a longer way because one, because of the willingness that we always spoke about and the sacrifice, but two, it just I'm not a parent, so I don't know, but in a sense for a second there, I almost felt like a parent because I saw nine guys or 10 guys out there that day, whoever was there doing stuff. And it kind of made me freeze. And uh, I made a phone call when I got in the car and I was just like, I don't believe it because... It's a culture thing that has to change, and that takes time. Rome wasn't built in one day, as we both know.
0: I mean, listen, you know, Cody is a kid. You mentioned Cody Robinson, uh, your senior captain. Cody's a kid I'm very close to, and I think the world of, and I'm not surprised by that. But it is great to hear that the group, and, and Cody specifically, is leading the group through that, because I think it speaks to motivation. You know, if I'm kind of putting on my sports psychology hat, right? This is a group that's motivated to really have a great year, regardless of the conditions around what that season is going to look like, right? It would have been really easy for them to kind of say, hey, what's the point, right? We don't know what's going to happen or maybe we shouldn't be doing this or maybe it's like whatever, they're there doing the work under the conditions that they could do it because they really want to be great as a unit, which, you know, like I said, you know, like you said, it's, it probably warmed your heart to see that, especially after a couple of years of drilling that message without the same level of return.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I, I won't name drop too much, but even like another kid like miles and you know miles very shy very quiet but you know he's out there he's he's uh leading guys at times like you know he's not he's not like the top of the mountain leader type of kid you know but he's showing flashes of some things but um even speaking to the guys like hey where's your head at and you know like some guys are just like yeah it kind of stinks like we know what's going to go on because of college recruiting and things like that but You have some guys that are like, hey, you can only control what you can control and uh, we can only do the best we can right now. And when you have that type of attitude, I think I say to myself, I'm like, you know what, they're going to be okay in life because they get it. They understand that there's always going to be trials and tribulations. And you always know some of the examples that you and I have spoke about privately together examples about my life examples about your life some of the examples I share with them to make them understand because at the end of the day you're dealing with 14 to 18 year olds but when those older guys can understand like hey it kind of is what it is you got to be optimistic but I'm still going to show up and work hard and I just don't think you might get that other places at times because some people might just pack it in and that's just it's no fault of theirs But when you have such a, I mean, I hate to say it, it's kind of a, it was kind of a grim outlook. And then you kind of get the schedule. Then you you kind of get the rumor. Like I got the rumor. I was up in Albany, New York. I got a phone call from somebody saying like, hey, no county tournament, but there's going to be a small state tournament. There's only going to be 15 games. You could schedule one at a conference game. So then I'm kind of like make a couple phone calls try to understand a little more and then once the guidelines come out last week they're different so it kind of is what it is but like i said my heart breaks because you want what's best for them but also at the same time i hope and i think um these guys are getting uh something out of all this and trying to understand uh the bigger picture of things in in terms of uh you know, still putting in the hard work when things aren't going your way. And, you know, life just throws different things at you.
0: I mean, listen, I, from the time that, you know, I've gotten to know you and spent with you both, you know, in the gym and outside of it, I don't, I don't think I've ever met anybody, a coach at the level that you're at, which is a, a pretty pretty high level basketball program in, in the state of New Jersey, you know, historically, who preaches process and who preaches life lessons and, and the importance of, you know, competing not just to win games cuz I think those of us who have seen you on the sideline know that you don't like to lose. But you, but you understand that there's a bigger picture. And I think for those kids to understand that they, they, they can work through this, learn from it and take it with them. It's a really important thing, you know, bigger than any basketball season.
1: Yeah, I mean, real quick, you always hear me talk about and you were in those locker rooms after those big wins, those big losses. You know, I, I always said, it, it, it's just like, I hate losing. I love winning, you know, but I think the relationships that I've formed in the couple years as being an assistant and now being a head coach, you got someone like Kayshawn Schultz who comes back last week just to see what's going on. Like the kids get plays football at Villanova, you know, he doesn't have to come back or a Tyree Ford or DeMarcus, you know, these kids come back. And I think for me, that goes a longer way. If you were to tell me, like, hey, you're only going to coach ten years, maybe win a couple county titles and one state title, but you're going to have lifelong relationships where people are always going to come back and see you or call you even after you're coaching, you'd probably take that more than the person roaming the sidelines for thirty years where the game kind of passes you because you either get stuck in your ways or it's all you know. And hey, you might win a couple more state titles and things like that, but. I think for me, like I said, I love to win. I want to win as much as everyone else. You know how a loss hurts me at times. Um, I don't really show it all that much. You might see Hellfire and Brimstone in practice the following, the following day. But I want them to understand like what it takes to be successful. Uh, at a high level.
0: A little while ago, you mentioned the recruiting process. So what are you seeing there specifically for this group of, you know, this group of kids who are maybe looking to play at the college level? Like what's, what's happening there now?
1: Yeah. uh, You know, Mike, it's when I got that phone call about a month ago, when I was up in Albany, I also found out that week that eligibility was granted um, for college um, players, D1, D2, D3 junior college. So what does that mean? That means a whole domino effect that just starts happening. So then, and it's not even really mentioned transfers, because if you have kids that are, you know, D1 transfers that transfer to D2 or D3, or you have um, a really good D2 guy that wants to transfer to a low D1. So there's such a convoluted spider web of things that just happen. So when I'm talking to some of these college coaches, it's just like, You know, I had some coaches get back to me. I had one coach and I I won't mention what conference or where they're from or name or anything. But they were like, honestly, Jan, if I told you what I was looking for right now, I'd be lying to you. And he was just being honest. And it was a scholarship school. I won't I won't say what level, but it was a scholarship school. You know, I've had other guys just really not get any get back to me because um, they just don't even know. So, it, it, it's, been, it's been difficult. I also know that some schools don't offer a fifth year. So, I know some colleges uh, with seniors, um, a lot of kids are taking like a gap year or players in, in general are taking a gap year. So, it doesn't hurt their eligibility. So, does that mean it hurts the class of 2022? Uh, I don't know. Um, in regards to our guys, you know, it's just been kind of like mediocre because I just think everyone's in a uh, in a holding pattern because we don't know what's going on with budgeting at colleges. Are programs getting cut? Are you losing money? Um, especially these, uh, these uh, D3s and D2s. Um, I think a lot of these D2s that can give only, let's say eight or nine uh, scholarships a year, they might be cut to maybe giving five. So what does that mean? Do you kind of just wait the last minute to for some uh, hopeful D1 guy to transfer down in July or August. So then what happens to our guys? Our guys get pushed to the bottom. So, I mean, there is a thing out there where you can do like a waiver program where uh, you can take classes at a county school and then come back and play as a senior. We call it like the super senior thing. But then you're asking kids to pay another year of tuition at St. Joe's, which we both know uh, it's kind of high. So again, that's where I feel like it hurts me because I see guys that, you know, you have a group that's working hard and they want it, but they're being penalized not directly by something they did, but just the, the world we live in right now. So that's what's been going on.
0: So what I've learned about the recruiting process, not just in basketball, but in baseball and soccer as well, is that a lot of it is driven by club travel, AAU, et cetera. What's what does that, what does that say about the importance of the 2021 spring AAU season for kids? Does it put more yeah. emphasis
1: on it? To put it blankly, kids got screwed, you know? But uh, yeah, I, it, the, the, the spring with what happened with COVID coming down in March, really like, and then really like spreading like wildfire April and May, Those are big uh, recruiting live period times for basketball. I don't know about the other sports, but they're different. Yeah. Um, So a lot of kids missed out. Now look, some other states, as you know, in the news, not to get into it, they, it was kind of like the Wild West. They kind of still went about their business and whatever. New Jersey kind of locked it down. So there really wasn't much that was happening. And then when we kind of started getting out of it a little bit, those uh, some people were trying to hold AU tournaments and things like that, but it was outside. So then that's a whole different ballgame that you have to take into account. And then you have to take into account, are coaches going to travel to come see you? Are they going to drive? Can you cross state lines? Um, if you're a really highly touted recruit, are you going to get on a plane to go see someone? I think we live in an age now where, you know, you and I are talking through video on the computer. I think as a, you know, society, we've kind of adapted to that pretty quickly because, you know, you, you still had to do things. So the recruiting kind of got hurt a lot because now what happens is you haven't seen a kid. You're kind of borderline about a kid. Do I offer a kid this scholarship? Because if I'm a college coach, if I offer this kid a scholarship and he fails, then it's an indictment on me. And then I want to keep my job and then I can't feed my family and things like that. So then you have people that are really hesitant. You know, if you have some of these AU tournaments where all college coaches can go, they all sit together, they all talk, who knows who. You don't have that. Are you going to have people in the gym? Because are you allowed to have people in the gym to film? Because then if you film, you can upload it to YouTube. I don't know if people necessarily had that. I mean, there, some people were out there filming some of these outdoor leagues this summer because we had some of our guys like Cody or Amari or Miles, things like that, where they were on film and you can see the highlight. But I mean, you know as well as I do, if you're a coach are you going to go off a 45 second highlight or are you going to go want to see them? It's up for debate. It's always the thing we talk about all the time as coaches.
0: Yeah, and you might, listen, given the circumstances we've all had to adapt, maybe you have to do that, right? Maybe you have to rely on the video now because you don't have a choice. You know, and that, I, I sort of wrote that down while you were talking, right? Like the role, and I don't wanna to get too much into this because it's kind of a it's kind of a deep in the weeds conversation, but the, the role of technology in the process. But I think even more importantly, how much onus or emphasis does that put on the individual player themselves, the kid, to, do, to go above and beyond, to find ways to communicate with coaches and really, you know, make the case for themselves that they should be recruited in this environment where maybe they would normally have the coach come to them. I mean, you have things like Twitter, you have things like Instagram. Look, I think in this world of
1: basketball, for basketball, and I'm sure it's like this in other sports, it's kind of like who knows who, if you're playing for somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody, word of mouth kind of travels. So I, I think kids kind of have to put themselves out there and kind of market themselves a little more than they have to. And then, you know, it kind of crosses a, uh, a little line of like, when's like too much, too much, or when is it not enough? Kind of gets a little, uh, To me anyway, in my opinion, it kind of gets a little dicey because you're almost like selling yourself in a market. And I get it. When you go out into the real world, you might go on 30 interviews and you got to sell yourself to all 30. You don't get a job. I get it. It can be more demoralizing to a kid who's 16, 17 years old, who has the hopes of being a scholarship player or playing at a big name school. And in actuality, schools might be recruiting them that they don't like. And then like, how do they get down on themselves? Or what do they do and how do they overcome it? And obviously that's something that's more in your woods that you talk about. I mean, I can only talk about the process of some things. I do know I've texted way more coaches and called more coaches and just be like, hey, just do me the solid, take a look at the video. And I'll just go on a rundown with the kid and I'll try to sell them as much as I can. But, you know, these guys are probably getting... 30 calls like that as well. So uh, what are you supposed to do at the end of the day?
0: Right, so. right. I mean, listen, it, it does raise, a gr- it raises a lot of great points for me about, you know, what do you control? How much do you do, right? Like all those things in the process, it's really tricky, right? And then you're talking not only about the idea that these kids want to play in college, maybe there's a level of discouragement that they're not getting the feedback that they want, but then you're also kind of sitting on the heels of this major, major transition to not just the go play in college, but to just be in college, to go from maybe being living at home to living by yourself to going, you know, there's just so many things that are going around. It takes, I mean, that kind of is where I get in, right? There's so many elements that go into the transition from high school to college that a lot of these kids even ready for it on the the base of it, just like like the, the fundamentals of it. And then you throw in this all these curveballs, And then it gets even harder. Yeah, that kind of leads me I want to lead I want to go back to your story a little bit, right? You know, so can you talk about about what your background is athletically, maybe going back to high school even?
1: Yeah, so whole life played football, basketball, baseball, baseball is probably my best sport. Football was second basketball was third, but I had a passion about basketball, one varsity letters in high school, you know, junior year rolls around again, I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on this at some point now or you know, within the next 10 or 15 minutes, you know, I wasn't the best student. I really wasn't. And uh, it kind of affected me in some regards. I wasn't saying I wasn't cutting class or anything like that, or I wasn't doing work. Like I was trying to do the work as best as I could. But, uh, you know, I had a learning disability and um, I was diagnosed with it and everything. And uh, I needed more of a smaller classroom setting for a comfortability standpoint. So after, um, you know, after that, after high school graduated, it was kind of like the junior college route was looking like it. A close friend of mine a childhood friend uh, Kevin Ryan um, his family uh, knew some people because Kevin was going to prep school at, at the time in Massachusetts somebody knew somebody as we know as we always talk about and uh, I went up for a weekend up to New Hampshire so mind you from New Jersey Westfield being around close to New York City buildings going up to New Hampshire for a weekend that was a shell shock and uh, so they uh, offered me a uh, academic and athletic scholarship to come there to go to prep school. And I was kind of like, you know what, uh, it's probably the best bet for me, um, because maybe it gives me an extra year to get my SAT scores up and my grades up. So for me, that was a huge, huge uh, shock to the system because driving, it was six, six and a half hours away. Um, you're in the middle of nowhere. Wasn't even like dorm buildings. It was it was like regular old dorm housing. So mind you, it was almost like uh like a movie, like a good little hunting movie, like you know, cold snow on the ground, you're driving up, it's like no nope. and um that was a huge shock. And I'll never forget my dad dropped me off, we had all this stuff and there were all these rules like study hall at seven o'clock every night, Sunday through Thursday. Gotta be like lights out by eleven. Now mind you, this isn't a military school. And I, I started crying like a baby. I won't lie to you. I really did because my entire life, you know, I I knew only what was in New Jersey and Westfield. And furthermore, I I only had my dad, you know, my mom wasn't there and I was afraid to leave my dad. But something like clicked in me. I'm like, you want to make it out of here and not be another statistic man? You need to suck it up. I'll never forget. My dad was like, if you don't want to stay, we'll pack your stuff up and we'll go. And I was like, no, I got to do this because this is how I'm going to like get through life. And uh, it was tough. And, but I had football. I played football there and I played basketball there. Uh, I met some great people. At the time, I couldn't stand it, Mike. I can't even tell you. Looking back on it, it was probably one of the best things to ever happen to me in my life. And uh, at times I still get emotional thinking about it because it was it was a crazy time because you think about that feeling. So once I got through that, um, went through the whole recruiting process, didn't do well in my SATs. So I wound up uh, missing out on a few scholarships, but uh, you know, went to college. So
0: I mean, listen, that's a, there's a lot there. I mean, first of all, let me just say, like, I, that's some stuff that I did not know about you, and I appreciate you sharing it because, quite frankly, like. I was surprised like when you said I'm not a good I wasn't a good student I wasn't the best student that surprised me because I know you as a guy who like loves to read Who's like a quotes guy Who's a guy like so like articulate and intellectual and like to say that you like weren't the best student kind of just threw me but then I sort of understood a little better that you know listen people who have learning disabilities probably don't like to learn as much because it's really hard so like can you talk about that the learning disability like how like it came to be diagnosed like what did you like? What did you learn from it? All those things. I'm just so I'm curious now.
1: Yeah. So, um, I, I believe I was diagnosed when I was, uh, seven or eight. Um, So it it wasn't an ADD or an ADHD thing. It was just more so um, I just learned at a slower pace. Like I was never dyslexic or anything like that. It just took me more time to process information. You know, I think being a teacher today, I think the services today are way better than when I was in school a million years ago, we'll say. But um, it just it took me time to learn Uh, algebra. Um, I wasn't the best writer, but I never really, my thing was the thing that I always leaned back on since I was eight was always athletics. Like I was always, not to toot my horn, I was always a good athlete and I was probably the best out there or one of the best out there, no matter what the sport was. I always lean back on that i kind of I kind of realized like getting through middle school and then kind of getting to high school. I kind of realized like yo you can 't do this, but I just continued to just like kind of just low learn at that slower pace i didn 't put in the time, and I always tell people i 'm like if a kid like me probably shouldn 't have really made it in in a, in a sense, but to to get through college, and we'll talk, we could talk about those academics, but then to get to grad school and graduate with a graduate degree. If I took like what I learned and that work ethic in graduate school when I was like 26 or 27, if I took, if I can go back and smack my older me, I'd probably be like a scientist or a doctor right now because I put in the time. But that that learning disability kind of hindered me. So I, like I said, I needed more of a smaller classroom environment and I needed that comfort sense. And, uh, you know, Westfield did a good job of offering that up to me and doing that. And I met some great teachers you know, I'll never forget. And they took the time out and, you know, I kind of realized that now as a teacher, like trying to do that and give back. So, but I was, like I said, I wasn't the best student and it kind of just carried on into college as
0: well. I I think that's something a lot of kids, like if there's any, if there are any high school athletes on here or kids that are listening to this ultimately, I think that's probably something they can relate to, right? When you're a really good athlete, you do tend to like lean on it. Like you said, you lean back on it, right? You love to do it. You're good at it, right? And then when you're not, when you're in high school, a lot of times when you're not good at something, you don't want to do it, right? You want to do what you're good at and you want to try to get by on that. That only takes you, it can only take you so far, right? In your life. And from what I can gather and what I know about you, like ultimately it seemed like you started to understand more and more over time with your prep school experience, I would imagine through college and post-college that you had to lean on and you had to put more emphasis on learning, being a better student of whatever it was that you were doing versus just saying, hey, you know, I'm going to get by on athletics.
1: Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, man, freshman year of college, that first semester, I mean, if anyone is listening to this, it's it's probably your hardest semester other than your last semester of college. And, you know, if you ever want to talk about that, we can. But your first semester is so hard because because of just the workload, I mean, I won't lie to you. I had a one-four GPA by the end of my uh, first semester. My coach was like, "Hey, you kind of got to get it together here," and I did. And I and I and I and I wound up getting like a three-four or three-five that second semester. But you know, when you start so bad out of the gates like that, you're you're kind of behind the eight ball, and I, that's what. I kind of emphasize to our guys that graduated this year and I'm like, let me tell you something, you make sure you go to class, you are seen, you are visible, you're sitting there, you get the work done ahead of time. Do not wait till the last minute. And if you need extra help, go to these professors because they enjoy it. That's what they're there for. That's why they make that money at these colleges. They're there to teach and they are there to help you. If you're gonna wait till the last minute and be behind the eight ball, you're going to be like me you're struggling for four years of college did you know keep your gpa up because no matter what you do if i got a one two and i got a four oh the rest of my time in college you know, average it out. It only bring me up to like a 3-1, maybe a 3 And that's what I say. I mean, start off hot. That's like my best advice to people that are starting off as freshmen with the academics, because the workload is so different and nobody's going to hold your hand. And depending on what college you go to, whether it's a big time university or a small university or a small college, you know, you're going to have either 15 kids in your class, 30 kids in your class, 60, 90, 120, you might only get five assignments you bomb two of them you fail the class you know so you have to you have to stay on top of that it's really important and it was just it. Look, it was a struggle for me all, all four years of college. Like I had some really good semesters, and I had some hot mess semesters. I I mean, I won't lie to you on this one. It's tough. It's it's a very hard transition.
0: You know, again, like I think you you know, I'm lucky in that you're kind of doing my job for me in a sense that you're talking about your experience, which is exactly why we're here, right? Like what I what I hear there, right? The, any transition, whether it's your first semester of college or your last semester of college, where you're transitioning out and preparing for something different, you're coming in, you have to learn how to study. You have to learn how to communicate, right? And ask for help, which I think to me, like the more I, I get into this, the more I think about that transition from high school to college, I feel like that's the biggest one, right? Like, especially when we're high, in high school, when we're a big fish in a small pond, and we're really good at the stuff that we do, or people know who we are. We don't, you know, people will come to come to us and help us because they know we need it. Or you go to college, you're just another, you're another number. You're a number in the system. And if you don't, or you're not able to communicate with your professor's, with your coaches, with the people around you that I need help or, you know, whatever it is, you're going to get lost in the shuffle. And I didn't play sports in college. And I, that first semester of college was the hardest academic year of my life. Like I had to kill myself and learn how to study just to have a decent GPA. And I wasn't going to practice. I wasn't lifting. I wasn't watching video, you know, like it's really, really, it's a really hard thing to do.
1: I think it's also difficult in a sense, Mike. And it's funny you bring that up about like, you know, there's, I think there's high school studying and then there's like college level studying and it, and it, and it's just different. And then you spoke about yourself, like not being an athlete. And I think in a sense, being an athlete, yeah, it's hard, but it also helps you because you have to learn time management. And I think that's the hardest thing. I mean, you, you have to think about this. Let, let's look at it in terms like this. You start going to school, let's say first grade, you're seven years old, right? Or six years old. All right. Your parents are getting you up every morning. They're driving you to school. They're picking you up. So you kind of get that all the way through. Like, all right, you get older, you walk to school, or you get a ride with friends, or you drive. All right. So you have the times where you have to be. Now you get to college. Your parents aren't there anymore, whether they're an hour away or four hours away or you're across the country. Now you have to get yourself up. Now you have to be disciplined enough to do those type of things. And you have to realize that in college, you don't have class every day. You might have one class once a week, it's a three hour block. You might have a class twice a week where it's an hour and a half block. Or you might have a class that's three times a week where it's a 50 minute block. And now every college differs on that. But for the most part, that's how the schedules work. So if you have class on Monday and you get the assignment to do, and then you're kind of like, all right, yeah, whatever, I'll, I'll do it later. And then Tuesday rolls around, then Wednesday morning rolls around, that assignment's due. What do you do? And how do you manage that time? And I think that's where a lot of kids have a hard time because they don't know how to manage that time. Because, I mean, let's call it a spade a spade for the most part. Kids that are going to college, you know, they kind of, you know, have things laid out for them. They don't have to worry about making their lunch or making their dinner and things like that, or making sure their clothes are washed. I mean, you know, in some regards, people that are listening to this, maybe they do have to do that. and And I get that. But when you get to college, those are some of the factors that you have to like take into account. And on top of that, playing a sport and having study hall and workouts, I know we'll talk about that in a little bit. So there, there's so much that just ties into it.
0: So I, I kind of want to go back to, to prep school and kind of because clearly that was a tough that was a tough transition for you. Like I, I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about getting through that. and then then the process of going from prep school to college. Like what was that like for you? Like what was it to like to get through that year? and then how how did the process of recruiting and getting you know to Hartwick and how did that come to be?
1: That prep year, like I said, it was hard, but I met some great people, especially the dorm housing we lived in. There was only like seven of us, and it turns out three or four of us were postgraduates. So we were, they were doing like the same thing I was doing. And then a couple other were going there for four years. And you imagine going there for four years. But um, again, you know, they call it prep school for a reason. So you'd wake up, you get yourself up, you go eat, you go to class, whatever classes you had. Um, you wouldn't have the same class every day. And then you'd have practice with football practice. You go to practice, you do what you got to do. You go eat dinner and then you had study hall. In a sense, it was kind of like a a college-like atmosphere. But great time, played on a team. We won a New England Class A championship. I still have the ring today that we won. Played some really, really good competition. That was like some of the best football, basketball competition I think I've seen in my life. The good thing about playing with guys that are getting highly recruited, they see you and somebody knows somebody and they call whoever. So I had D1AA schools calling, D2 schools calling. The problem was I, I had to do well on these SATs. So now at this point, I'm doing well in the classroom. I'm getting A's and B's and a couple C's. You know, like I said, haven't been the greatest English writer in the world, you know, so I'm getting like C pluses, B minuses there. But the problem was, was were my SATs, um, because I was just, I'm, I'm a horrible test taker. Always had been, always will be. I don't have it, you know, so um going through that whole process. Schools are calling and which kind of stinks, the hindrance of my future lays in the balance of this test, an ACT or an SAT. Never qualified. Lo and behold, uh, my friend that I told you about, Kevin Ryan, childhood friend, he wound up uh, getting recruited to Hartwick, the coach, his mother called the coach was like, Hey, if you really like Kevin, you're going to like his childhood friend. He should come up for a visit, go up for a visit to in New York from New Hampshire. It was like a four hour ride, you know, had to take a bus and everything. So mind you, I'm like, I'm going all over the earth. you want to talk about a year of being on buses and traveling and things like that. I mean, I could tell you stories, uh, get up to Hartwick college, get there come to find out like the last two years they've only won four games and i'm like man i'm like is this the place i want to be i don't know but the coach paul copo who uh had a real interest in me. You know, I always said that guy could sell a ke- ketchup uh, popsicle to someone in white gloves. I mean, he pretty much sold me on it. And I was just like, look, if I don't get a scholarship, I'll go here. Because I think for me, it's it's always a comfortability level of some things. Now, again, mind you, they only won four games. Kids quit the team, thrown off the team. I went up to play with them in the spring. I think we played three on three because or, or uh, we had seven guys. We wound up only playing three on three because... There was only six guys on the team at the time. So come to find out, don't get the scholarship. It's football or basketball. What do you want to do? Football or basketball, football or basketball. And I'm like, as good as I am at football, I like basketball better. And I'm like, if I'm going to play D3, any sport, I'd rather play basketball than football. That's just my mindset. I was like, I'm over getting hit, getting shellacked, going across the middle, catching balls. High school, I play quarterback. Prep school, I play wide receiver. I'm like, I still took a pounding no matter what position it was. I'm like, I call them up. I'm like, all right, I'm going to come there. I have to go through all the process of uh, financial aid and FAFSA. But the, the prep school thing, like I said, very eye-opening, met some great people. But once I left there, I was just like, you know what? You got through this year. I think you can get through pretty much anything. And mind you, I told you right when I got there. Crying like a baby, all upset. Don't have cable TV in my room. You know, like just the little things you take for granted. You know, going somewhere to get a slice of pizza and food. Like New Hampshire's got the worst pizza ever. So <laughs> it was just, you know, that was that. That was that transition, man. And uh,
0: but that, I mean, but that's a great example, right? Because that that happens every year, right? You get a kid who comes from a place where maybe they come from an urban area. Mm-hmm. And then they go to, you know, and, and this happens at all the levels, right? Whether you're going to Hartwick or you're going to Lawrence, Kansas, or you're going to some of these places where you're coming from a big city kid, Chicago, New York, and then you're going to like the middle of nowhere where everybody looks different than you. You can't walk out on the street. Like, you know, it's, it's like, how the hell am I going to do this? Right. And, and you just described
1: it. Honestly, Mike, when I got recruited, so I was one of the last recruits. So mind you, Our coach, Paul, Paul Copo he made everyone come up every summer and work basketball camp. So I was such a late, like just confirming thing because I was just trying to hold out because then it, then it kind of boiled down to, it was like, do I go to Hartwick or do I go to this junior college out in Iowa? Do I want to go to freaking Iowa? I was like, I don't know. So I was like, I'll go to Hartwick. So mind you, I didn't, I haven't met anyone. So when I first got there, all I knew was my buddy, Kevin, I was I didn't know anything. I didn't really know much, but I'm watching all these people move in the day of and people are hugging and and like just normal students in the dorm I was living in. People were crying. I'm like, yo, this is a piece of cake for me because I went through this a year ago. I know what it's like to move in. I know what it's like something as little as bringing this normal set amount of sheets because you have to change your sheets. Make sure you bring enough enough clothes. Don't bring too many clothes because you're not doing too much. Bring a TV, bring a fridge. Like I went through all that. I knew what it was like. Bring snacks. Like my dad would set me up with like a bunch of stuff, snacks and everything like that. Cases of water, where are you going to store stuff? So it was kind of like, cake for me. So then like later that night, you get this mass text, like, Hey, everyone's playing pickup, be there such and such time. I walk in, I came in with a class of 13 guys, 13. He recruited 13 guys. By the time it was all said and done, there was only six of us left that graduated. Even my best friend, Kevin, who went there, he had to leave after his freshman year. It was, it was just different because nobody knew who I was. I didn't know who they were. And I'm like, For me, where I was still rough around the edges, not personable, not really wanting to talk to anyone, kind of like the big chip on my shoulder, what the hell am I doing here? Now I'm like, I got to start this crap all over again. I got to meet people again and go through all this. It was just, it was different. It really was. I, I can't emphasize it enough. It was just strange.
0: I mean, clearly there's a lot that goes with it, but if you had to put your finger on one thing, like what was, what would you say was the biggest challenge for you in that kind of college transition? If you want to call it that
1: on the court or off the court, you pick, I'd say, like I said, off the court, like it It, it was the schedule of, uh, classes and I uh, was getting college work done. Um, that was, uh, that was a big thing. Um, it wasn't the living thing. It wasn't being far from home. It was none of that because I went through that a year earlier. And I even said to myself, I'm like, look, at least you're not six hours away. Now you're only three and a half hours away. Um, so it wasn't an issue of that, but it was just an issue of, like I said, being a single child. You know, I didn't have the greatest of upbringings, having a single parent, like times were tough, you know, with things. And I just, I didn't have a lot of trust in a lot of things or people and trying to break through my shell is a hard thing. So that was hard, just meeting people. So stuff like that off the court was definitely tough for me. And I wasn't into the the whole party scene, you know, going out to uh, bars because the, 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 the school I went to my freshman year, there was... 19 bars within a third of a mile of each other. I mean, it it was insane. I used to call it like little Vegas of uh, upstate New York um, because there was a bar, you leave one bar, you go next door, there's another bar. You leave that bar, you go next door, there's another bar. You go across the street, there was another bar. So I really, I really wasn't, that wasn't really my scene like from the start. So I wasn't into that, but it was just, just meeting people because I'm so, closed off that if I don't know you, I feel like, um, I can't trust you on the court. It was, I mean, if you want me to answer that, I can, it was just that fall preseason that first year, it was three days a week, uh, 6.00 AM Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday was the football field Wednesday, um, was, uh, 2020s. So it was 20 suicides in 20 minutes. So mind you, you get like a 20 second break in between. And then Friday was actually a uh, workout on the track. So you have like this set workout that you'd be given, like got to run a 400 in this time. Then you got to run another 400. Then you're doing a hundred. Then you're doing a 200. The football field, it was just like running the length of the field, 200 yard wind sprints, 100 yard wind sprints, 50 yard wind sprints. And you go through all that. That was a tough transition. So you, ha- So mind you, three days a week of that. Me, like a dummy, I had an 8 a.m. class those three days. So I'd get done around 6.45, close to 7, shower, eat something, try, try to sit and like watch Sports Center for 10 minutes, then go to class. I'm exhausted. So you had the three days a week of that. Then you had two days a week of individual workouts. So you had to go to individual workouts at your specific time. So you had to work that around your schedule, whatever it was. So that was usually like Tuesday, Thursday, I got lucky doing that. I didn't have to do it on a Monday, Wednesday, because I've been like, what's the point of showering? And then you had um, lifting three days a week. So that was Monday, Wednesday, Friday that you had to do. So on top of working out in the morning, you had weightlifting. And then you had uh mandatory uh, pickup. I think it was either two or three days a week. So that right there, that ball season, me telling you that was, that was torturous. I won't lie to you. It was tough, especially those Sundays because you get those Sunday blues, me and my roommate, my best college friend, like dummies, we... Order pizza and buffalo wings and watch Sunday night football, and then we'd be paying for it Monday. I never puked. I will say that in four years, never puked. (laughs) Everyone else, I I survived. I got through that. But uh, that that was that was tough. And mind you, that's just your fall season. That's not even your regular season. So that was that
0: was. on the court. yeah the level of effort that you put into your strength and conditioning right
1: and that's d3 and 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 there's,
0: there's such a misconception
1: out there that oh d3 is a bunch of scrubs or this and that the way my college coach ran it because mind you he coached at st michael's d2 which um that's a scholarship school he worked at umass which was d1 so he's been around so he ran it like a d1 program now mind you this was d3 and you had to do all that That's where some have to take in this perspective for some kids.
0: What I'm learning now is that regardless of your sport, D3 in any sport is running the same way, right? Coaches are running their programs as if, Winning is the number one thing. It's not just, oh, we go to D3 and you play like our club team. It's not like that. You know, the amount of work and effort it's put in, like you're, 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 you're working like a D1 athlete, but you're playing at a D3 school and you're not getting a scholarship for it. So You better be prepared mentally to put that work in, knowing that it's probably not going to be your profession when you when you come out the other side of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's funny because like some of the uh, some of the questions you sent me and I kind of just glanced over them and kind of touched on it and not touched on it a little bit. But I think at the end of the day, it's just about your want to do it. It's like you said right there. You're not getting a scholarship. You got to do work study. Like for me, I had to do work study to get paid every two weeks. And, you know, not that my work study was like over the top. Like I had to just do some stuff in the basketball office. Like some of the kids that are playing D3, like they had to work uh, in the library. They had to um, work in facilities and things like that. So they actually had to do some stuff. For me, I got, I kind of got lucky. I mean, it's, what's done is done. It's not like they're going to take my eligibility or my points away from me, but I didn't really have to do all that much you know, some kids have to kind of do things that are kind of over the top with, with work study, because you kind of need that money. And then some people choose to either take that work study money and uh, buy books. Some people take that work study money and like, Hey, just put it to the the balance of my uh, tuition bill or things like that. But it's it's hard, man. It's hard,
0: man, it's, it It is. I mean, I think that much is clear. And I think that, you know, being prepared for that is is half the battle, right? I think for a lot of kids, they just don't know what they're getting into. They, you know, there's two sides of the equation, right? Even the parents, right? Parents think like once my kid has a letter of intent signed and a, maybe a scholarship work is done. But then, then there's this whole level of preparation that's got to go into just getting ready to show up and like be able to deal with what's in store. It's not even close to being over at that point. And I think that that's something that's eye opening for a lot of people. And sometimes, like anything, regardless of walk of life or what you do, like sometimes people just have to learn the hard way, you know, but like that's not ideal, right? If you could know going into it, like what to expect or at least least have a sense of what to expect and giving yourself a little bit, you know, in the way of tools, it's probably going to make it a little bit easier. So I'm going to, we're, we're kind of an hour's gone by like that. And so I want to be conscious of time. I want to finish up kind of with your coach hat on, right? Like you've talked a lot about your personal experiences, what it was like to transition and that all matters. And it probably shapes who you are as a coach and as a person today, but putting your coach hat on, like what's, like, what are you telling, what what's your, what are your recommendations to parents and to coaches, uh, to athletes in the process, excuse me, about how to get ready for it? What should they be thinking about? What should they be doing to get themselves, you know, put themselves in the best position to succeed?
1: I think for the start with athletes, I think it's, um, you know, you have to put in that work, um, no matter what that sport is, whatever specific sport it may be. Just don't think because if you sign an LOI or if you're accepted to like go to a D3 school that hey, it's going to be done. I mean, you know, I I kind of tell athletes or high school athletes to go play college, you know, to play college sport, you're kind of lucky. Only 7% kind of make it of high school athletes. You know, that's one in 13, if my math is right. And to play D1, it's like one in 57 or something like that. So it's kind of put in the work, but also uh, as a collective unit with a parent and a student to tie those in together, like do your research, you know, look up the school, look up what majors they have, what programs they have, look up the atmosphere, look up like what what are the uh, surrounding towns? Is it a crime area? Is it not a crime area? Food, stores, things like that. Is it accessible to get to uh, for public transportation, train, plane, whatever it may be? At, getting back to the athlete part, uh, look up the uh The previous record of the teams in the years past, like I always say, like, look at it from a five to eight year period, because then that's those are two recruiting classes right there. And it kind of tells you, like, hey, is does this person recruit well? Does this person not recruit well? You know, look at I I mean, I hate to say, you know, because you do want some personal uh, achievements and awards. Look up any personal records and things like that. Look up some things like I think as an athlete, you should always set yourself to have goals. I mean, look, when I got to Hartwick College, I never thought I'd be 10 points away from breaking the all-time scoring record. And look, could I have broken it like that last game? Yeah, but I was more concerned about winning because we were playing in an ECAC championship game and I knew this was my last hurrah. So instead of getting 24 points, I got 14 points, but you know, I contributed with eight rebounds or seven assists or whatever was there. And I you know, those are some things like look up those goals like all-time records, like, you know, set goals for yourself because I think as an athlete, you're always goal driven and goal oriented. You know, you kind of want to, you know, succeed. But also if you go out for a visit, get to know some people, ask some personal questions. Don't just ask like, hey, is coach like this? I mean, obviously you're going to ask those type of things, but be like, hey, what do you do for fun? How are the people around here? Is it a different atmosphere? You know, especially today, the the world we're living in. So, you you know, you want to know those things. And then when you get there, just, you know, what I always say to you, don't be an energy vampire, you know, do whatever you got to do to be above and beyond to succeed. For parents, I tell you, no matter what, support your kid 100%. But, you know, if your kid's not playing or... your kid's not getting what they think, don't automatically like, I got to pull them out of school, transfer. I mean, I've seen way too many transfers in my time playing at Hartwick for four years and then being a college coach and having friends that are college coaches. I mean, the transfer portal now is so insane because kids are leaving. Some have legit arguments like, hey, homesick, uh, family illness, whatever it may be, grades, but some are just transferring because they're not playing. You know, go somewhere where you are You know you're going to be wanting. I think too many kids get enamored. And we've spoken about this privately. They get enamored with the name of a school instead of who wants you. That person is showing interest in you. I gravitate towards them more because I always say Paul Copo. me and that dude, we butted heads for years, but we butted heads in a good way. I mean, that dude was a father figure for me for four years and I still have a relationship with him today. I just talked to him last week after I graduated. He took a job in Vermont. I go up and I see him every summer. You know, people always ask me like, hey, do you want to go to a big school or hey, did you want to do this? I'm like, yeah, I did. I always wonder what it would be. But the people I met and I graduated with and meeting Paul, like I wouldn't trade that for the world because... Those lifelong friendships won and Paul is someone I rely on, you know, every so often for advice and I call him. And like I said, I always wonder that first time I walked in that gym, being that tough guy, being that rock, not opening up to anyone to what I am now, I think it's changed like crazy but it wouldn't happen if I didn't go there. I firmly firmly believe that. So I just tell parents if things aren't going your way, hey you got to stick it out and you got to figure it out. Now if something's egregious going on, obviously that's a whole different story. but if it's something like you're not playing or this and uh, or, or things aren't going your way, you have to continue to work hard and you have to continue to put your head down and stay humble.
0: And I love that so something I'll always, I'll always ask, I ask people all the time in all parts of my life, but particularly the athletes that I work with is, you know, I always ask them, what can you do differently, right? Because I think there's a sense of, well, when things aren't going my way, it's somebody else's fault versus like, hey, maybe, maybe you're not doing everything you can do within your control to put yourself in a position to succeed. And I, I think that's really good advice because it's interesting, you know, I've done a number of these. The thing I've heard about the process of recruiting is, two things i've heard one is fit 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 right it's is it a fit for the kid is it a fit for the school But I've also heard somebody say, and I love this, is it's a 40 year decision. It's not just four, right? It's 40. It's did I go to the right place? Do I have a role model or a mentor 15 years after I'm out of school that I can call up and ask for advice? Did I get the job that I want? Like you talk about, right? Like dress for the job that you want, not the one that you have, right? Like these are all things that the four years were there are important, but it affects the next 40 and that fit and those relationships are really what's the most important thing versus like like, am I playing?
1: Yeah. And I know we're up against the clock. I just want to say, I want to add on for whoever listens, listens to this, go to school, knowing what you want to study. Just don't say, Hey, I want to study business. Like, you know, Kay Sean, we love him to death, right? He's like, I want to go for business. I had to sit down with him multiple times before practice started. Why do you want to study business? What specific areas of business do you want to study? Do you want to do business law? Do you want to do accounting? Do you want to do economics? Like, just don't say you're going for business. And that's what I'm saying. I think, and it's hard, like, look, I graduated with a political science degree. Never thought in a million years I'd be a teacher today. I'm telling you right now, I wake up every morning, I'm like, I can't believe I'm a teacher. Not in a bad way, but I'm like, I didn't, you know, I never set out to be a teacher. I really didn't. I always just found myself being around a sport, coaching, and being around kids and helping them because I remember the role models I had, coaches or teachers, how they helped me. And I don't forget that. And I and I try to do that. But you know, I tell kids and parents. Just don't look at the school because of the name. Now, obviously, big time schools are going to have way more majors. We get that. Look at what majors are being offered. Look at what you're interested in and then look at their graduation rate and then look at their internship program. I never did an internship in college. Do I regret that? Yeah. But I was also like, hey, I want to be the best player in the league. Like that was also a goal of mine as well. So it's kind of finding that balance of what you want to do. But those are the things that you have to look into. Like if you want to study communications, Look at the schools that offer communications, okay, and see what what you know their transition to college to job is like. If you want to study uh, something like a liberal arts, look at liberal arts schools because you want to get a little bit of everything. Just don't go to a school to go to a school. Yeah. That's, there's too much of that that goes on that people get enamored with names of schools and they just don't do their research. And then they kind of realize like, oh, they didn't have the major that was offered me. So I'm like, and I tell these kids, I'm like, all right, so let's see. You went there for two years. Most of your credits, not all of them, but a chunk of them aren't going to transfer. You're probably going to have to do a fifth year of college and you're going to have to pay more tuition. It's just like, it doesn't make sense. Again, There are always situations that things that go on, family illness, homesickness, something egregious that happens on campus. Those are things that are out there that we read about every day. But for you, don't go somewhere just to go somewhere and then kind of realize like, hey, this isn't the fit for me because of I'm not playing or this and that. You know, I'm under the mindset you're two years in, you're probably, might've declared a major or not. You have all these credits. Just think about that. If you have 70 credits, 30 of those aren't gonna transfer, more than likely. It's tough.
0: I mean, listen, something I've been hearing a lot too in this process of of talking to people about this is that athletics can help us get to where we want to go academically, right? Maybe you don't necessarily have the grades to get into a school that you would otherwise get into, but because you're an athlete, you can get into a high academic D3, or you can get into a Patriot League school, or you can get into, you know, an academy, right? I just heard a story about a kid, you know, when you get into the academy, like you don't have to clear all the hurdles that a regular kid has to clear to get into an academy with congressional backing and all this stuff. Like if you're an athlete, you can can bypass that stuff. So athletics has the power to put you in a place academically to set you up for the future. And what you're saying is you need to know that, right? You need to know what you want to do, where you want to go. Don't just do it, you know, without thinking through why this is a fit for you. Right. Yeah. I mean, get a
1: good sense. Like when I was in college, like I always wanted to, and believe it or not, I always wanted to be in like broadcast journalism. Granted, I just told you having a learning disability, not being the greatest of writers, being someone who's rough around the edges but I was like, hey, I know sports. I know things. I like talking sports and things like that. As you know, we talked about privately, but. Again, students have to realize that. And I kind of tell people at times too, I'm like, do not rely on the guidance department at your high school or the college fair or things like that. You, I always tell people, and I always, I think you've heard me say this in practice. I'm like, who's your best teacher? And people were like, oh, Mr. So and so and this and that. I'm like, no, you are your best teacher because at the end of the day, you're the one sitting there teaching yourself this stuff or doing the research. Don't rely on the academic department at your high school, the guidance department, your guidance counselors, because they're not thinking just about you. They have 600 other kids that they have to think about, like a school like Westfield. There's a ton of kids in there. There might be 12 or 13 guidance counselors now, for all I know. They still have, let's say, 100 kids. They have to kind of keep it moving because they have to go to the next kid. You have to do research yourself you, your parents have to do research. And if it's somewhere that's close within, I always say three hours is within driving distance. You wanna go outside of that, yeah, you can drive. I don't like driving. That's a whole <laughs> different story. But go, go, just go visit the school. Like, stay if you have if you have the resources and the funds to like take a ride down to I don't know. Let's say you know Maryland College Park, or you have the funds to go to Swarthmore or Williams, high academic D three schools. Just go and visit and walk around. Like, look up on the website. Hey, when there's there a day where I can come in, or reach out to somebody because there are people that work at these colleges that this is their job to try to get students to the school because they have to make money for tuition. So it's not, if you call up and like, Hey, when's a great time to come or who can you connect me with? Go up, see the atmosphere, see the campus. Hey, could I go talk to somebody in the business department or the poli-sci department? Could I pick their brain? Could I see what the you know academics are like? Is it stringent? Is it not? Like those are those, some of those things that I did. And I, it never happened for me because my dad didn't go to college. I was I was, the, you know, I was the guinea pig. I learned, you know, if and when I have kids, I know what to look for to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, we're in the same boat. Neither of my parents went to college. And I went to Michigan State. I didn't visit. I showed up on the doorstep and that was it. Like you could not set it up any worse than that. And sometimes you you are your own best teacher, which is means which means you just gotta figure it out on your own. You know, and when things aren't, you know, the way that they're set up to be, you know, they can't set up be, be set up perfectly. Now we live in a world where we have podcasts about people talking about how do we you know prepare for this transition uh you know from high school to college and i think i'll close it on this because what i what i heard you say and it's very we're very similar in this respect the reason why you do what you do is because you want to help people right i didn't think i wanted to be a, a mental performance coach I, this is my second career but what i realized you know midway through my life is like hey i want to help people be better i want to help them be in a better position to succeed maybe like i didn't and so like we have that in common so you know i think that's a really important Important thing is that, you know, you have coaches, you have parents, you have people around you as an athlete that can really help you take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, uh, and like I said, it don't be afraid to make mistakes. Now don't make egregious mistakes. But don't be afraid to make mistakes because it's the old adage in life. What do you learn from? You learn from your mistakes. And like, that's one of the things I wrote here. And we touched on a bunch of stuff, finding the balance of social life and academics and all that stuff and a sport and everything like that. But the big thing, and I circled it on my sheet, I was like, just. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Obviously, don't make egregious mistakes that you cannot recover from, but you're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn from it. Just like me, just like I told you, 1.4 GPA in my first semester of college. Huge mistake. Did it sink me? No. But, you know, was I like this, like the Titanic kind of sticking in the air? Yeah, I kind of was. So that's, but those are some of the things I would tell any parent, parents, guardians listening to this any kid that's listening to this you know just do your research look into things i mean the internet is so big right now you type anything in you can find it so oh and by the way you said what book Why the best are the best by Kevin Eastman. Why the best of the best A book recommendation. I mean, I had a bunch of other books, you know me, I like to read, but that was my number one, because I think this ties in not only for athletes, but um, I think for some parents, because it talks about accountability, it talks about balance, it talks about um, having an inner circle and trusting that inner circle. And it's just a lot of things we touch on having love, um, having passion and stuff like that. All those all those keywords you and I always talk about—you know, not being on together today, doing this, just all that stuff—it just it, it touches on that, and it, it just gives you a lot of really, really good
0: examples. Great, why the best of the best? So, okay, so we we didn't get to the last semester of college. We didn't get to you playing basketball in China. We didn't get. You yeah, you started your coaching career. So we're going to have to do it again. Whatever,
1: whatever you want, you let me know. I'm around. Part two. <laughs> we can do part two. That last semester, I, I can give you some stories there with a thesis I had to write.
0: I'm looking forward to it. I, I really appreciate it. This is great.
1: Hey Mike, anytime, man. I, I, I thank you and thanks for you know rescheduling and everything like that. And like I said, I I really look forward to looking looking to do this again and talk about other things. And I just hope somebody out there takes something from this today. Me too.
0: Thanks a lot, Janet. I appreciate it. All right, take care. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fair Haven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes, just like you reach their full potential on and
1: off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the
0: next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at the Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe, give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend, most importantly, Come back in two weeks ready
1: to get better.